Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with B.D. Erickson about creating an exceptional organizational culture within the highly technical sector of clean, renewable energy. Erickson, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have a fun conversation with you today. You come to us uh, with a really unique and interesting background. We're going to be focusing within the clean and renewable energy sector and talking about how we can create exceptional organizational cultures to drive organizational growth. As we get started, I wanted to share BD's bio with everybody. As founder and CEO of SADIC USA, B.D. Erickson is a proven leader and team builder, successfully navigating an ever-changing high-tech business climate. Having business and science degrees combined with Anthony Robbins Mastery University and Leadership Academy, B.D. is well-equipped to lead his team in the highly technical sector of clean, renewable energy. Spanning two decades in high-pressure leadership roles, B.D. has been recognized multiple times for building winning teams, creating an outstanding corporate culture, and having a massive impact on company-wide growth. He is currently running the country's leading clean power tech manufacturing facility and Montana's most proficient solar company. BD possesses a proven track record of sustaining high-level team buy-in, not simply surviving, but thriving in the high-pressure environment of advanced American technology manufacturing. What a tremendous background. <laughs> um, I, I haven't interviewed a lot of people from the renewable energy sector, uh, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you from that standpoint, but also talking about effective organizational cultures for personal and organizational growth is also a passion of mine. So I'm super excited for this conversation. Cool. I'm glad to be here. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Uh, hey, uh, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of background or personal context? Uh, you know, I, I think the bio is almost hard to listen to. There's so many big words, but the reality is just that I grew up uh, in a green tech manufacturing family. And so as an mm. adult in that you know, high pressure, green, fast moving tech manufacturing space, something I'm familiar with and I thrive in. Um, and then an education really from Tony Robbins served me a lot more than anything I learned at major universities. Hmm. So it's the marriage of those two things, I believe, uh, is responsible for a lot of great excess that I've experienced. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, well so tell us, uh, start off by telling us a little bit about how you found yourself in the green renewable energy space. Uh, you say you grew up in that kind of an environment. Um, what got you into it? What what drove that um, interest and passion and really the direction of your career? You know, it's funny, you know, your life's path. You know, you can take a left or a right, who your friends will be in high school, 
uh, what things you'll study or be interested in, in work right after school or university, who you'll marry. I mean, these are the, the life choices, right, that create your path and your path, of course, creates your direction and your direction creates your destination and your destiny, right? And so a lot of things blend into that. <clears throat> so for us growing up, we not only had solar panels on our house in the 70s, there were solar panels that our family made in our factory in Montana. So my dad's part of the job was moving and setting up solar panel dealers, distributors, um, all over the Western United States. So it was very hard on me growing up. I went to 11 different schools in 12 years. Um, nope, I don't, have a, I don't have a yearbook. That was a big deal back then. It's just part of the journey that passed me. I don't have a letterman's jacket and I was great at sports, but you gotta be in one place, you know? And that, that wasn't part of it. So being able to take my, my tray into the lunchroom in eighth grade and not have any idea where I'm gonna sit uh, really puts a lump in your throat and your tummy. Hurts at the time when you get older and now you're at the barbecue or you're at the company meeting and you don't know anybody. I'm the most well-equipped guy to navigate that room in the room uh, just because that's been a part of my journey. Well, later um, we were living in Hawaii when my wife was getting her grad degree in geology. And unfortunately she was killed by a drunk driver. So that caused my son and I now admittedly in a trance to move back to Montana. When we moved back to Montana, Jonathan, we bought a house rather quickly and it happened to be under some of the biggest power lines in our whole town. <clears throat> well, within a year, my son's perfect grades are starting to slip, his perfect attendance is starting to slip. And uh, so you're starting to look, you know, why? What's the X factor here? Um, and, you know, was the X factor simply mom being gone? And certainly that would get anybody, right? Um, but I, I, I found that the symptoms he were suffering with just a couple of Google searches were actually quite common to people living um, under high voltage power lines or in high voltage facilities. So I started to go down that road. Now, where those paths kind of converge interestingly is when I was in Hawaii, I was selling really high quality lighting uh, to the Middle East where electricity was very expensive. And so selling uh, expensive light bulb that saved some watts, hey, that might not have made any sense in Idaho, right? Where someone's paying four cents a watt um, but in the Middle East, where someone's paying 80 cents a kilowatt hour, there was a real market for that. <clears throat> and what made this light bulb so special was its high convergence of the actual watt that you buy into lumen, this particle of light that you want to fill your room. And so these two things, cosmically, organically, magically, you picked it, Jonathan, converged, where I was in the high-tech, um, quality, efficient lighting sector, um, I was living under some power lines where I had to find uh, how that was really affecting uh, my child and the person that I love most on the planet. And that's where the two things came together and sent me on a journey to now create a company from scratch to hire the finest engineers that I can find when I don't have the money to pay them anything close to what they're worth, um, build a team, tool up and start manufacturing a product that was 15 years ago, total pseudoscience. They think I'm wearing a foil hat, right? And here I am out the other side with the multi-million dollar company, the finest product line of its type on the planet today, and a team that even without me here, you give me enough fellas pointing the right ways, we will build the pyramids, Jonathan. So those are the that's that's the people that I'm surrounded with now. And I'm I'm grateful to be here. And even though we're 10 years into it and we're successful, this is just the beginning. Truly. I mean, that's that's incredible. And thanks for sharing you know, the personal family um, dynamic and context. And, 
you know, my, my condolences, um, you know, to, to the loss of your wife and the, the challenges of dealing with, um, you know, where you lived in, in Montana with, with the, the power lines. Yeah. You know, all of that, it, it's funny how, you know, life deals its hand, you know, and then we, we find ourselves in, in certain, you know, our, our, it defines our path and, and our journey, um, you know, veers, you know, one way or another because of it. And, and, uh, anyways, I think it's, it's wonderful that you found yourself, um, both from your personal background, but also, you know, from the context as an adult in, in this, this space and the willingness, you know, as you described it being a pseudoscience at the time when you're starting your company and trying to figure out all of all of this, right. The technical stuff behind doing what you want to do and then put, bring together a top-notch team of highly skilled individuals, developing a company from scratch, uh, building the culture, you know, all of that is a tremendous undertaking. Uh, so maybe we can start to shift gears and talk a little bit more about that now. Um, what, what was your process as you as you, you have this vision, right? You, it's, it's, it's driven by a very real need in your life. Um, and you, so you have this passion, you have this vision, you want to, to, um, have a solution to this problem that faces your son, but countless other people. Um, you start an organization. How did you? How did you initially start to convince people that this was an idea worth, you know, coming uh, to be a part of, uh, bringing in top level engineers and uh, with technical expertise, um, just so you could start to change that pseudoscience into actuality. You, so you you did the best job, I think, of encapsulating my challenge. And, and, and teeing it up that an interviewer has ever done. So yeah, so you're in pseudoscience and you don't have any dough and you can't just bring in the average person. You want to bring in somebody that's really great for several reasons. So that A, you solve the problem most quickly and inexpensively, but also so that it lends credibility because each time you're being challenged on pseudoscience, as humans, we we want to look to people that have been financially successful or people that have achieved great things or people that have this big fancy MIT or Caltech degree. And so I, I said, I've got to, I've got to garner these people because I don't possess any of these things. Right. And so, so now how do I approach this person, explain to them compellingly what I'm trying to do, ask them to join the team for deferred compensation and come to work. <clears throat> so a part of it is for sure that, they have to believe in you. Like, even if they're not all the way there on the science, that they believe you. They believe that it's important to you, that you're not going to give up when it gets hard, um, that you're not going to bail halfway through, that you're, you're worthy of following to some kind of destination. And you always, I tell them consistently, you know, it, it is what's, we're taking a leap here, but I, I commit to you this. If it happens for me, it will happen for you. You know, I, 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 nobody wants to wake up every day and lace up their work boots and go build Jonathan's dream. No, 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 no. We'll help Jonathan with this dream. We love Jonathan. That's our guy. We're going to follow him. But I also want to wake up every day and build BD's dream. So what has to happen is you have to ask them, okay, you've got this degree. You've got this measure of success. What do you need as a human? Do you want to be told that you're great? Do you want to be shown that you're great? Do you want to see that you're great? Do you want to hear that you're great? Are they visual, auditory, kinesthetic? Are they in it for the love? Are they in it for accolades? Are they in it for the shares or to be on a magazine, right? Because those feelings are in there. And the idea that people go to money for work, no, uh-uh, that's a part of it. 
but we also go to work to add value, to, to work on something great, to, to achieve something. So I immediately start asking, if I can't just give you money right now, we're going to defer that, we're going to promise that, but, but what are some things that you would like to get now? And you'd be amazed at the answers that they get. People want to help people. People, you know, are, are, we, are we internally good? Are we internally naughty? You know, I can give a good conversation either way on that one, but I will say this, people love to help people. We love giving the guy on the road five bucks. We love helping the person with the wheelchair. That Those things are not actually burdens to us as humans. They make life worth living. Holding the door for a grandma is not a burden to a healthy human. It feels delightful, doesn't it? It does. When you see a pregnant lady on the subway and so immediately you jump up and you give her your chair, it is not really like you've done a fine thing. You did that for you as much for her because that feels good, darn it, to the healthy person it actually is delightful. So let's start, let's start identifying some of these things so that as you come, you are helping, you are building, but you're also experiencing some, some good, feel-good human stuff along the way. <clears throat> I want a culture, it's always a goal of mine to have a culture that's the finest of any industry that I know. And so I, as a personal development coach, I was able to tour a lot of facilities. And I would notice, like in California, the tech sales um, companies. They've got beanbag chairs and the, the sales team is very young and they're playing ping pong and they're gaming and they're doing things because they wanted to create a fun organization where playfulness and creativity and casualness were part of their culture. And then you can tour another company where it's precision is their culture and we do it to the nano and you know we're only one micron off in our cuts and stuff and their culture is the precision and stuff like that. And so what I tried to do is ask people what they need to feel, how we should run it, what it should feel like. And I really came down to a few things. Number one, people want to be loved and they want to be thanked and they want to be heard, right? So I, I really found quickly that if you have one kind of grumpy autopilot, negative Nancy human being, right, Karen, of any gender, any sex or any color, we're not talking about that, we're talking about personality. So we're talking about here that if you've got one person that will focus on what's wrong, not what's right, what's missing, not which is present, they can suck the air out of a room. And I don't care how many great cheerleaders I put in that room, that person can just suck all the feel good out of it. So I want people that can see the good, not the bad, see what's there, not, not what's missing. And then with what is not great or what is missing, how do we get it there? How do we, how do we achieve it? How do we find it? How do we draw it from the quantum field? How do we suck it to us so that people are happy, shoulders are up, smiles. I love smiles. We have bells. We high five. We thank each other. If somebody messes up, we all do. You own it. You forgive quickly. You apologize quickly. And then you forgive quickly and walk up to people and tell them, I forgive you. I love it. We all do it. Thank you for being here. And I'm telling you those few words, that second, a few words changes the culture. I get up out of this seat that I'm in and I go to every single office in this building and I thank every single person every single day for being here, for being a part of it, for helping me do it. I couldn't do it alone. It would be impossible. And I don't want to. Who wants to do it alone, right? So I tell people this a lot. I want my vision to be. So you're at, you're at the barbecue, Jonathan, right? You don't, you don't really know anybody. You got your overweighted Dixie cup plate full of your barbecue right and it's too heavy and it's slipping and the barbecue beans are dripping off the edge and then you got your little cup of beer or your little cup of chardonnay or whatever they've given you and your hands are full now and you're walking around you don't know where to sit you know who you're going to talk to you don't know where to post up 
one of the first things we do as humans when we engage, we say, well, what's your name? What do you do? And so I'm a plumber, I'm a tradesman, I'm a sheetrocker, whatever comes out. And that's just naturally kind of an opening salvo question that we ask. And it's also an opening, what's your identity? All right. And our identities are huge to us as human beings. So in my dream, <clears throat> you say, well, I'm Jonathan. I work for SADC. And the other person says, oh, lucky. Can you get me on? Do you know anybody? Right? That our company has a reputation of treating everybody that's a part of it in a way that when you say that name, you get to beam with pride and the other person feels a level of envy that they don't work there. And I'll tell you right now, that culture does not just happen. What just happens is a negative culture. That culture comes from real intentionality and really hard work and things in place. But once you get that intentionality clear, once everybody's working on it, since your goals and your intentionality are written all over the company, since the groundwork has been laid for how we behave and how we feel, now it becomes contagious. And the bell rings here so often and they cheer and they laugh that now it's like when you got a, the, the merry-go-round or the ferris wheel the merry-go-round and it's full of kids right you're trying to get it going you're trying to get it going you're pushing but once it's going once it's going now pumping it now just keeping it going is very easy so do the work in the beginning get that thing going the way that you want to go it and now once it's going that way and everybody's on board then pumping it and keeping that momentum yeah. is actually quite easy I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, well, and you highlighted several really important points. Um, tapping into an individual's meaning, purpose, and motivation. Uh, we, we so often, you know, get distracted by um, the, the, the pay element. Um, pay is important. People want to be treated fairly. They want to be paid fairly. Um, but most people, particularly really talented people, they have options. They have choices. They can go anywhere. They, you know, money is important, but is pay them enough that you're treating them fairly and equitably to take, you know, take money off the table 
and then now dig into what really matters for them, what really is driving them, what what is, what drives their passion. And so I really like how you focus so early on as you're putting together your core team on those other pieces. Yes, pay them when you can, deferred payment and compensation, that's great. But focus on these other things that you can start to do right away. Um, and then giving them the recognition, uh, showing genuine caring and appreciation to your people. Um, you talked about how the natural um, culture that tends to emerge within organizations, if we're not proactively trying to shape it and create it the way we want it to go, it tends to be dysfunctional and negative, right? And so, you know, you focused on, um, and, and what you just shared, you know, several specific things we can start to do to lay that foundation, to lay the groundwork that will allow us to have a sustainable, um, or, or positive organizational culture that can be sustained over time. Um, the reality is so many organizations haven't done that groundwork, especially when you're talking in the, in the startup space. Um, you, get, you get a new founder who has a, a passion, they have an idea, um, they have the technical expertise, they launch a new venture. Um, most of the time, people in that startup phase, they're not thinking about culture. They're not thinking about um, uh, the, the people and their teams uh, from a human capital perspective, they're just thinking about, you know, their idea and getting the people around, around the table to be able to produce it. Um, but we need to get beyond that. We need to focus on the cultural elements. We need to focus on the processes, the systems, the procedures, the norms, the values that are perpetuated within our organization. Um, all of that lays the foundation. And then ultimately, you know, 10 years down the road, now, like you said, you have an organization that's the envy of the community that everyone would love to be there and be a part of it. And then you you get to pick, you get to pick the best people to come and join your team because they all want to be there. That's right. <clears throat> and so then let's take that down a little bit further. So now, you know, my workspace, my work environment, is it dusty or is it tidy? Oh, that has so much impact on the human psyche. Even if they're, they love you and they're bought in, they're willing, to work or it's dusty or it's tidy. Tidy does something to the psyche. It's clean, it smells good. Do you like to stand or do you like to sit? Well, I like to stand. So everybody's got the desk. Everybody in our office has got the desk that comes up and down so that you should stand, keep your physiology up, keep your chest up, keeps your eyes up. You can't just be sad, Jonathan. You gotta, you gotta do sad, right? Uh, poor me, right? So the less you're capable of doing sad, I'm up, I'm tall, I'm up, I'm breathing. How's it smell? Is there fresh air? How's the temperature? So we have cleaning crews come through every day. They come through, it's wiped, it smells nice, it's fresh. The windows are open, you can hear the birds outside. We're in Western Montana and our office, I don't care which direction your window faces, north, south, east or west, in our building, you got a view. And those of us that get to face north, we look at a ski resort all day. You can do different, you can't do better. The windows open, the birds are so happy to be alive. Um, those, those are things that could be overlooked and my company would not crumble tomorrow, right? But they cost us $100 a week, it's negligible and it just makes it more fun and, and being able to be in a clean space and smell good. We all wear gear, I'm wearing, I'm wearing gear right now. Everybody has gear, we're all badged up. Everybody, there's, I guess 22 W2s probably on the clock right now. They're all in gear, they're all badged up. Why? Reminds you where you are. Reminds you that you're on a team. Reminds you that you're al not alone. You're part of something, 
right? So in the back, our guys have aprons. They do the same hot rod aprons as the NASCAR crew and the Formula One crews. And it has their name on it. And they got their gloves and their pliers. And that's their stuff. And that's their gear. And it's custom ordered for them. And it fits them. And when you come in in your, your static solar hoodie and you throw on your apron and it's your pit crew and it's got your name and your role and you put it on, that's your stuff. You go into that, you go into that identity now of here I am and I'm here to do a goal and it's timed and it matters and we do it well and we do it great and we're the best and all that. And I'm telling you, man, it's, I got guys that really, I have several people that tell me that the best part of their life and their day is when they're here. And I, it makes me cry because I didn't, I didn't expect that. When well, I that that's it. amazing. And it's amazing, you know, in the lives, the day-to-day lived experience of all the people in your organization because you're making a difference for them and of course your organization being in the green and renewable energy space is making a difference for the broader community and for for your customers uh and that's incredible and i i i I mentioned that just because you know so so often in business we think we have to make a choice we we think it's either we focus on our people or we drive profits And that is such a ridiculous notion. It's a false dichotomy. Um, In fact, when you focus on your people, you usually have better bottom line results. You make more money. (laughs) You usually make more money. Yet so many companies, so many leaders try to find ways to squeeze their people more and more. They try to find ways uh, to cut corners with their people and with the culture. They might save in the short term, but in the long term, it it really, really hurts them. It hurts the organization. It hurts your ability to attract good people, which hurts your innovation, which hurts your ability to to have loyal customers and to continue selling. I mean, it, it, it's a, it's really a no brainer yet because in large part, perhaps it's because of just kind of the broader um, cultural dynamic uh, in the U S at least uh, other parts of the world, yeah. it's not quite this way, but, um, you know, we're very short-term oriented, um, generally speaking, and uh, that's a problem. I, I think we need to focus more on long-term sustainability, whether we're talking about environmental sustainability or organizational and culture s- sustainability, um, uh, because all of those elements are so important. If, if we want to, you know, continue to be in business in 10 years, 20 years down the road and still bring value to the marketplace. You're exactly right. Um, Yeah, you might make more money the first year or two, but you weren't going to make any money the first year or two anyway, right? Those those are the ones where you're going backwards. That's what those are the years you're putting a second mortgage on your house so that you can pay everybody else to work and not you. You you have to have that long-term view because I always tell people two years is coming no matter what. Two years is coming anyway, baby. Two years is going to be here anyway. You might as well be on this side of it, not still that side of it. So one of the things we do here, all hourly wage people get a raise every six months, period. All salary people get a raise every year, period. And then at the end of the year, we don't, it's, it's not, it's not, it's really not a Christmas party. It happens around that time, but it's just end of the fiscal and calendar year where we look at what we made and you know what we do? We divvy it up. We divvy it up. I've always told them if it happens for me, it'll happen for you. So everybody gets their raises along the way. The worst thing you want to do in life is wake up and go, well, this is it. This is all there is, Jonathan. Oh, this is it. This is all. Look what it just did. Just sucked the air out of me even saying it, right? So you can't say this is where I am today, but this is where I'm going. I'm going to make more money for the time that I commit to being here. And if we work together as a team, the more money that we achieve profitability as a group, we're going to share in that. 
Well, now I even get to raise my prices a little bit. You want to know why? Because people that buy it from here know it was well-made by somebody who cares, knows that if it got broken in shipping or dropped or something, and and they don't get something that's perfect, we're going to send them a new one today. No questions asked. They're going to get it. They know that the warranty is going to last a long time and that it's going to perform. Why? Because we guarantee it. And we're a 15-year-old company that has thousands of five-star reviews and is is BBBA+. And if you get somebody on the phone here, you don't get a grump. You don't get a duck. You get an eagle. You get somebody say, oh, I'm so sorry that that was your experience. That's how things go in life sometimes, darn it. Well, that's okay. Let's not look back. Let's just get you right. What's your address and get a new one. If you don't think you get to charge a little bit more for that experience, yes, you do. Yes, you do. And if they're grumpy and they just need to just bend your ear for a minute, then a customer wants someone that will hear them. Yeah. Let them get their words out, right? And then, okay, I'm sorry. That's, let's make it right. You get that, you get to charge five bucks more for that experience. <laughs> you, you get to. So yeah, yeah. you're right. You still, you could, you absolutely get to have both. Yeah. Excellent. Well, BD, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. This has been a fascinating conversation and I, I applaud you for all the good work you're doing in your company, both from, you know, the standpoint of, of, uh, sustainability, you know, environmental sustainability, which is so important in, in our world today. Uh, but, but cultural and organizational sustainability and, and really treating your people well and uh, as human beings um, that deserve to be treated well. I, I applaud you for all of that. Um, before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about SADC and anything else you would like to say by way of a uh, final word on the topic for today. Well, I believe that we live in sustainability's most important time um, in, in world history. Um, I'm not somebody that says, you know, you have to <clears throat> be a complete uh, greenie and, and eat everything out of cardboard and compost your hair. I'm not, that's not the ask. The ask is this, that as intelligent people, we can certainly all agree that we could be better stewards. So if everyone just believes in their heart that, that I could be a little bit better steward and take some action, then it starts to go that way. Our company is called SADIC, and it's an acronym for Sinusoidal Waveform Technology Incorporated. What in the world does that mean? It just means clean power. When your electricity is clean, it's better for your health, for your system, for your devices, for your wallet. Everything will run cooler, quieter, last longer. Your bill will go down. It's made in America. Our warranties and our guarantees are made and our promises are kept. You can find us on the web at SATIC, S-A-T-I-C-U-S-A.com. We love and appreciate any time you spend um, expanding your knowledge about clean renewable energy. Excellent. Thank you so much, BD. I really appreciate it. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what he and his team at SADC can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.